Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. It isn't our sexual behavior that devastates our spouses. It is the breaking of trust. And our decision to choose what's, what our priority is and go off and do that without telling our partner that we have a different priority in life than they do is what creates the crashing breaking of trust. Oh, by the way, I've worked with lots of guys who come in the office and they say, I just want to see hookers. I just, you know, what's the big deal? I, I think I want to go see some. And I'm like, hey, if your wife Go to her this morning and tell her you want to go see a sex worker. And if it's okay with her, it's okay with me. Because I've never run into a sex addict who wants to negotiate with the people close to him or her, their sex life. What we want to do is go off and do what we want to do on our own. And we don't give a shit in those moments how it affects reality. We decide that we're going to run our own reality and we're going to fit everything else in around it. And that's our delusion. Because life is going on in a very clear way with people following healthy decisions, not us. And then they're looking at us like, what's wrong with them? And we say, oh, they're just being difficult. We, as Scott says, we externalize it. Why are you bugging me? Why are you nagging at me before they find out, right? Why won't you give me a break? I'm working so hard. We try to fight for our ability to stay in denial and keep our family in denial. But there's, here's a great expression for you. Reality wins. I write that down. Reality wins. Because reality always wins. You think you're not going to get caught? You are. You think you're going to hide something? You're not. It just doesn't work that way. Reality wins. Health always wins. Or we go to prison. <laughs> so let me give you another example of this in a story, okay? I think this is a really good way to talk about this. So I worked with an alcoholic. Well, I'm not even working with these people. I'll make this. This is a made-up story. And I'll tell you, most of my stories are true, but this one isn't. Let's say that I'm not an alcoholic. Okay, let's say I'm a 20-year-old kid and I'm going or 25. I'm a 25-year-old kid and I'm going to a bachelor party and I'm going to go hang out with my friends and somebody's getting married and I have a few too many drinks and I never drink. I never go out and party. That's just not my thing. But on this particular day, I just say, well, and a couple extra drinks. I love this guy. They're getting married. And I get a little too much. And then I decide, should I drive home or should I get an Uber or should I ask a friend? You know what? Fuck, I'm pretty sober. I'm not that. I think I'm just going to drive home. So here's a guy who never drinks, never gets in trouble for drinking, never thought, kind of thought it wasn't a good idea. And he's driving down the street on the way home. And all of a sudden, those flashing lights are in his rearview mirror. And he said, fuck, I can't believe I'm in this situation. You know, so as the cop is coming up to the window, 
what does this guy say to himself about whose fault this is? Who got himself in trouble? Who, why is he in trouble? What was the, the situation that happened that left him having trouble? And the non-alcoholic, because I'm not going to ask you guys because there's so many of you, the non-alcoholic will say, oh my God, what was I thinking? I'm so sorry. Like, you know, I sh never should have been drinking. I should have listened to myself. What was I thinking? Now I'm going to get, go through this whole court thing. And, and he learns, boy, you don't do that. And you know what? Because, and this is really important part, because this man sees reality clearly, I'm at fault. I shouldn't have been doing that. I don't know what I was thinking. Guess what he's going to do differently next time? He's going to get an Uber driver. He's going to get somebody to drive him because he has now learned by looking at reality clearly, this was my fault. That means I made a mistake and I can correct that mistake by not doing it anymore. This man is not in denial. He clearly sees the problem. He's decided where the problem lies, me and my decision making. And he decides that next time he's going to do it differently. What he's going to do differently, he's neither not going to drink or he's going to handle it differently and he will never get another DUI. So that's that story. Now let me change it around. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a young alcoholic. I've been drinking since I was 15. I'm on lots of parties and I party all the time. And I don't really give a shit what people think. I've never gotten in real trouble for it. And I'm drunk as shit, but I don't care. I drive drunk all the time and I'm going to go home. I don't even think twice about it. And I'm driving down, down the street. And all of a sudden I see those flashing lights in my rear, those fucking cops, man. I can't believe it. Here they are again. All I'm trying to do is go home. What is the fucking big deal? That's the alcoholic. So when the alcoholic says to himself or herself, whose fault is this? Why did this happen to me? Who do they blame? Because their primary focus is to be drunk, stay drunk, and not question their drinking in order to keep drinking. So what does the alcoholic say? He or she says, freaking cops, they're always on the outlook for a red car because he has a red car. Or, you know, I don't understand it. I pay taxes. This is a nice neighborhood. I don't understand why these cops are trolling this neighborhood. Or they were just looking for somebody and I was, you know, so where is the responsibility being put by the addict? It's not, I shouldn't have been drinking, I shouldn't have been driving. No, because reality is not as important to the alcoholic as protecting his or her ability to drink. And if he sat there and said, oh my God, this is my fault. If he took responsibility, he would have to look at his drinking, but he doesn't because his denial is it was the cop. It was the street, those freaking cops, these red cars. And you know what an alcoholic does differently? Because they learn too. They drive down a different street. That's not looking at reality clearly. That is choosing to stay out of it. That means that person has said, reality is not important to me. What's important to me is doing this. And whatever I need to do to do this is more important than trying to deal with that in a clear way. So when we get caught, we blame someone else. We externalize it. We, when we're in trouble, we push it over here. We push it over there. We tell lies. We wind all around because we don't want to stop doing what we're doing. And this is what I wanted you to hear. This is why I wanted to deliver this lecture to you guys, because I understand what it means to be an addict. And it's very simple. We make bad decisions because we're not basing our choices in what reality is. We're not saying, what is the best thing for me and my family? We're saying, how do I keep doing what I'm doing and get away with it? And that's an addict, someone who doesn't look at reality clearly or sees reality and says, yeah, but I can handle that. I can manage that. I'll just work around that reality and do what I want to do. Well, reality wins. It will eventually catch up to you, I promise. And even if it doesn't catch up to you in a, in a 
someone's yelling at you, you lose a relationship, and you're never going to feel loved or happy while you're doing it. By the way, I used to wander around all the time, my addiction, say, I wonder why I'm so depressed. Why do I feel ashamed all the time? Is it the depression or is it the sex? Is it, and of course, I didn't want the sex, so it must be the depression. I can't tell you. For a couple of years, I went to doctors. I took pills. I was like, why can't I get rid of this depression? Denial. I was having sex with four strangers a week, and I couldn't develop a meaningful relationship. That's why I was depressed. But I thought, well, my mother is mentally ill. I need to go see a doctor. I did not want to look at the fact that it was my own behavior and the distancing it cost with my family and all the work it kept to keep those lies afloat. That's what was making me so depressed. All I needed to do was stop that. And then I felt a lot better because I was living in reality. And by the way, you're not going to like your reality. Your reality now is dirty and difficult, and it's even more reasons to want to run away from it. But that is the commitment to recovery that we have to have is no matter what. I'm not going to delude myself. I'm not going to pretend. Now, if you want to go out and see a sex worker, go ahead. But you're going to do it, and you need to do it knowing fully what that might cost. When we do treatment, I never say to anybody, this is going to be cured. I never say to anybody, you're not going to want to do it again. But I will say to them that this is what we do in treatment, and it's true. We ruin it for you. We ruin it for you because you can go have all the sex you want, but you will never again, in fact, just in this course maybe, you'll never again be able to not know the cost. You may do it again. You may do it again a lot. You may go back to living your life in denial, which is what we do. But we will never get what we want, and we will never be happy because living in denial and living in illusion well, I'll tell you the example I'll give you. It's like, we're like people who are on the floor picking for crumbs to see if there's anything we can possibly fill ourselves up with. Prostitution, masturbation, porn, sex work, or whatever, affairs. But you know what's behind us? A banquet. But we are so busy looking for the crumbs on the floor that we don't turn around and see the banquet. And do you know what the banquet is? It's family. It's love. It's community. And I'll just stop with this because I've been thinking about this for a long time, this particular phrase. I don't think you've heard this from me, Scott because it's kind of new. I think that because of some of the things I grew up with and some of the ways things I learned and some of the challenges there, I have been running away from home my whole life. I have spent my whole life running away from home. And by the way, I want to say part to you this. What is the most important four-letter word in the language? I don't think it's love. I think it's home. Home. You know, that's where, what was her name in, in sorry, uh, uh, Wizard of Oz. Dorothy. What did Dorothy want to do? She wanted to go home. That's all she wanted. When people are dying and you say, what do you want? I want to go home. Home is the most essential, important word of the language. But the home I grew up in, I didn't want to be anywhere near it. And for me, getting away from those people in that situation is something I've been doing my whole life. Only they're not there anymore. The home I'm running away from now is the home that I created. And what we need to be doing all along is running toward home, not running away and embracing the simple life that we've created as being the most important thing. Simple is good, not boring. A friend of mine said that a life well-lived in recovery is just one notch above boring. We don't want huge intensity and powerful and then terrible. We don't need drama. I want to feel good about seeing my nephew graduate from college and enjoy an evening with friends and then get sad that my dog died, but I don't want to be here and there. And That's how we live because we're not living in reality. Okay, one more thing. I do have one more thing. Scott, you've heard this one before. So I don't know if any of you guys remember or even know the concept of a plate spinner. Plate spinners used to be in the circuses. They used to be on TVs. And plate spinners are the guys or ladies who they spin plates and that's their act. You know, they, 
put a plate or a bowl on a long stick and they spin the stick and then they get the plate going, right? And then they put up another stick and they get the next plate going. They put up another. And if you haven't seen this, it's kind of fun. And you know, as they go to the other end and keep putting up bowls on the sticks, the sticks and the bowls at the other end start to wobble. So they, you know, this is the deal, right? They have to run back to the other end and get those other sticks moving so those bowls don't fall down. And then they have to run back to the other end and put up more. Well, eventually, right, they're not going to be able to get to the wobbling bowls fast enough and all of them are going to come crashing down. That's you. That's all of you. I live this life. I live that life. I was doing this stuff and I just got to keep all this stuff and this people will know, these people won't know that and I won't look at this and this will be over here and this person will know this and that's us and work is here and family's there and I'll just keep all these boxes spinning and that ain't it, right? That ain't the way to live. So some of you come in and when we do treatment, you guys come into treatment when I'm running program and you say, and I say to you, what do you think you need to do with the, with the plate spinning metaphor for your healing? And they, half of them say, like, I'm, why are you here? What do you need to do with your plates? Well, I need to be a better plate spinner. I need to get the right angle, the right plate, the right you know, stick. I'm like, no, you need to learn how to stop spinning plates. You don't get to work 90 hours a week and have a girlfriend and travel all over. You know, we have to live very simple we are more vulnerable than most men. We think we're stronger, but we act out. We're pretty strong. We can put up with lots of shit. In fact, we put up with shit and don't even stand up for ourselves, sometimes with our partners, because we have the ability to run away into something else. We think we're amazing. I can work 90 hours a week and build business, blah, blah, blah. But we're no more robust or strong than anybody else. In fact, we are more vulnerable because other people can achieve and do well, and they don't run away from their reality. But we do. So. We live in a whole pack of lies that we tell ourselves when our partners or families or bosses or the legal system or work or the inability to build relation, when all of that shows up, we don't want to get better. We just want to lie more and keep doing what we're doing. So here is the last thing I will say, I promise, Scott. I have done treatment for 25 years. I've run treatment centers, open three or four treatment centers. You know, I've written 10 books. I speak all over the world. And I've treated, let's say, a thousand clients could be 900, could be 1100. My goal was always to see more people for therapy than I had sex with, right? That's a joke. So in the thousand people that I've seen for treatment, male sex addicts mostly, if I had to put up my hand, I could show you how many, let me see if I can do this, how many out of a thousand people, I think that's five, have come into treatment, outpatient or residential, and said, I'm here because I want to be a better person. I'm tired of the way I'm living and I just really want to have, have the, you know, people say that. But then when I say, but why are you here today? Didn't you want to be a better person a month ago or three weeks ago? Oh, well, my wife found, oh, well, my boss, oh, you're not really here to be a better person. You're here to get out of your consequences. And that's fine. That's reality. If you all think you're here to be a better dad or you're here to be a better husband, you're not. You're here to, to get your shit together, to start focusing on how you can live your life in a healthier way, not to learn how to get away with things better or hide things better, or but to live with reality as your guide, as hard as that is, because reality sucks. People don't love you, they don't get along with you, they reject you, and you just gotta deal with it. You don't get to run off and have sex with other people, and you don't get to have the exciting part of your life over here, so you can ignore the misery over here. Reality means you gotta face the misery over here and put that away. So, I think that is my lecture on denial. Scott, comments or feedback before we get some from the guys? Um, well, I was wondering if you could, um talk a little bit about the link between compartmentalization and denial and how those kind of travel hand in hand. So we talked about it in terms of integrity, right? Having boxes or compartments in my life is being out of integrity. 
So if I had my family over, my family played over here and my affair partner, sex partner, strip club over there, as long as the two don't come together in a negative way, I can think that my life is working. I can convince myself that my family, my friends, my kids, my work, my school is not affected by what I'm doing. And I can stay in denial as long as I don't get found out. Now, I may not, I won't see, I will not see how my marriage or relationships are degrading. I will not see how I'm not a good parent or a good lover or a good friend. I will not see that my work is getting worse. I'll blame my boss. My marriage, I'll blame my partner. My kids, they're not available. I will externalize and blame everyone and not look at the reality that I am the source of the problem. And as long as I can, it doesn't matter how bad life gets, because the worse life gets, I just run to the problem more. It's only when life gets so bad and I am so confronted with not being able to move forward without, in other words, I can't be in denial any longer. It's facing, my spouse is holding up the text, okay? My boss is showing me the porn. I can't be in denial anymore. I have to face it. I mean, that's the beginning of healing. And we either decide that we are going to steadfastly, one moment at a time, and this is what one day at a time is about, stay in our reality as painful and difficult as it is, or we can say, well, I'll just check out. And by the way, we check out unconsciously. We check it by wanting to go have sex. That's how we check out. And when we say to ourselves, oh, I'm just horny, I need to get laid, oh, she's really hot, he's really, that's not true. You know, we want to escape. And even when we, listen, all of you, let me say how old you are. Is there anyone here, Scott, who's 17 or 19 or anything like that? No. 22? Probably not. So all of you guys probably are not, have so much testosterone coursing through you that you just absolutely have to have sex now. Maybe when you're 17, but not now. So you're horny, you want to get laid, you see something you want. The first thing that should come to your mind is, gee. I wonder what's going on that all of a sudden I'm thinking about sex. Not denial. I must be horny. I want to get laid. You're, you're 40, you're 50, you're 35. You don't have to get laid. You want to disappear. Most people, by the way, they see that other person, that thought fleetingly goes through their mind. Everybody's attracted to people, but then they move on because they're not looking to escape and disappear into a behavior that is setting them up to ruin their lives. So the compartmentalization is what allows us to stay in denial because we can say life's fine as long as this is fun and nobody over there knows about it and I'm spinning plates and they're all up in the air, everything's fine. But of course, anyone who came up and looked at your life from a distance would say, oh my God, that's a nightmare. But as long as we're able to keep those parts of our life separate, we are fine. And when you're not fine and when you 995 of you do come to treatment, it's when things have fallen apart. And you're no longer able to keep those plates spinning because other people are now onto you or situations and you can no longer spin it the way you've been spinning it. That's when you come in and say, please help. But you're not really here for yourselves. You're here to fix the problem. And I understand that. I don't care why you're here or what got you here. What I care about is that now you want to learn. Now you want to grow. This is your opportunity. I don't care if you came here to save your marriage. You came here to get, you know, I don't care. What matters is what you do in this process and how committed you are to the process. Once you're here, you can grow. And by the way, when your partner says, oh, you're just there for, the, for me, you're, sure, absolutely, I'm just there for you, but I'm learning, but I'm growing, and I'm becoming someone who wants to be there for me. I don't expect any of you to be in this process saying, oh, how fun, oh, good, I couldn't wait to spend my Saturday morning doing this. But you have to. You have to grow. You are no longer able to well, you can divorce, you can find a new job, you can continue to spin these plates in different situations, but you will be more and more and more unhappy. The only route to happiness is to put away what we think our life should be and follow the guideposts. One more thing. 
I don't always know what reality is. I'm really bad at reality. When I want to have sex, when I want to have an affair, it seems perfectly like a good idea to me. This is why we get sponsors. This is why we work 12-step programs. And I say this on Friday night and in the rooms, I'm just going to say to you guys, when I was working on my recovery, I never, and I mean never, made a decision about whether or not to have sex with myself or another person. I called my sponsor first and I said, hey, I'm thinking about having sex with myself or another person today. What do you think? And then my sponsor, who is it? What's going on? What? And sometimes they say, sure. And sometimes they would say, I don't think so. But I never made that decision on my own. I never made a dating decision on my own. I never made a decision to go on a second date on my own. Because I, and I say this all the time, we're not good decision makers around sex. We're not good decision makers around relationships. We can talk ourselves into all kinds of things. That is why we have to build a community of people, like maybe you with each other, because understand, I'm all caught up in the, ooh, this is hot and this is exciting and I really want to do this and it looks so great. But someone else is not in that moment. They're going to say, hey, Joe, what are you, crazy? Three days ago, you don't want anything to do with this. Now you can't wait. Other people are the holders of our reality when we slip into fantasy. And if we make sure that we don't, it doesn't matter what we think, as long as our decisions are guided by other people. Oh, I want to get laid. I want to go to see a prostitute. I want to go this. I want to call the affair partner. Who cares? I can think about it all day. But the minute you go to call that person or get online, you better call that other person first and say, I'm thinking about doing this and it seems really good to me. And I'll tell you, when people would call me and they'd say, I want to act out, the best gift I could give to them was say to them, how are you going to feel after? What's it going to be like after? Because when we're in the mood, we're just thinking, oh, it's going to be great. I can't wait to get to it. They're going to be really hot. We're not thinking about how I'm going to feel oh shit, I should have been somewhere. Oh, I was supposed to pick somebody up. I'm itchy now. Do I have a disease? Do you know how wonderful it is for me for the past 30 years to never wonder if an itch is just an itch? I don't have any diseases. I don't have to go, ooh, is that a bug? Is that? Do you know what a relief that is? Because I lived for 20 years thinking that itch might be VD that all the time because of what I was doing. I was actually in denial that I could live a life where I didn't. Do you know how nice it is just to live and not worry that I have some disease or I'm going to pass it on to someone? I know that sounds simple and most people say, what are you kidding? But I live with that all the time, especially during AIDS. So in any case, following reality means if you follow reality, you're never going to be surprised at the problems that show up because you're already seeing them in front of you and you know what's going to be happening. If you're living in denial, you cannot anticipate the problems are going to show up because you're deliberately not wanting to look at them and then things just get worse. Okay, so guys, um, do you want them to ask me any questions or do you want to handle questions, Scott? Because I know you have other things to do here. Yeah, I've got a few more things I want to cover, but if anybody has a question for Dr. Rob real quick, um, we can take that and then we'll, we'll jump into uh, the rest of the stuff we're going to do today. So I was wondering about the compatibilization because uh, twice I was told uh, about uh, some friends of my spouse who was uh, cheated on. They were sitting uh, right uh, with us and telling about it, and no alarm uh, bells uh, went off. I didn't uh, connect that at all with my own uh, behavior. Is that uh, normal? If I don't want to see something in me, I'm probably not going to see it in other people. If I lie a lot, I mean, we, if I'm avoiding something, I'm probably not going to want to see it in other people. So if somebody brings up affairs and what someone else is doing and I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to think about that because that's what I'm doing. So I probably wouldn't see the connection to me or what I'm doing. It would have to be, and you guys know this, it has to really be in our face. That, that's the point of denial. Anton, we see lots of little signs. It isn't just that. 
we see lots of little signs all the time that something might not be right, that people are doing what we're doing. We just don't want to look at them or pay attention to them. Because if we did, we'd start to have, you know, if you further that conversation, you might have to hear about how that affected someone and what it meant and what it did to their marriage and how it hurt their kids. You don't want to hear any about that. You want to talk about something else. So yes, it serves you. But is there another part of your question? Yes, I even tried to give advices to those persons. And that's so far. <laughs> okay, so I, you all need to hear what he's saying, that, you know, he's, his wife, and they were talking about somebody having an affair, and he was trying to advise them. Did, and you didn't know in that moment that you were, that that was crazy? Absolutely crazy. You did know? No, I didn't know. Right, okay, so that's I just crazy. realized it uh, when I was uh, busted. You're like the guy who said three bankruptcies and you're trying to advise the business person. It's like, you know, not a good idea, yeah. <laughs> but you are because you think you know things. But again, yes, that is. So think about that. This man has carried a belief in himself so strongly that he can look at another situation that's similar to his and not see the similarity. Why? Is he stupid? No, he doesn't want to see it because if he had to look at it and hear about it, he might have to deal with himself. So yes, that is how strong it can be. We can tisk tisk. It's what our friend at work is doing about his affair. Of course, we're thinking I would do that better, <laughs> but we don't see the reality of how it's affecting us, even though we hear about it in other people. That's a good point. Bill E., I think, has a question. Yes. Um, like you said, be real and totally real all the time. And I try to do that with my wife, especially now. But I feel like a lot of times being real to her is hurting more than it's helping. Can you say more about that? She asked a lot of questions about how I was acting out. I try to tell her as much in detail as I can. Um, but okay, stop doing that. Okay. I mean, you're basically vomiting on her. She's like saying, what's going on? You're like, Bleh. So let me just say something about spouses, okay? But, but she does keep asking, though. So of I course don't. she does. That's, what, that's her job. She mm -hmm. will ask you. She'll wake you up in the middle of the night and ask you questions. And if she'll say, this is the last question, but you know it's going to bring six more, this is why. They're trying to find how bad things are. What the spouses are trying to do is find a foundation. Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? Because they want to be able to find a place that they can tolerate and live with this or move on. And so when they don't know or they don't believe they fully know things or how things went down, they're going to ask and ask and ask and ask because they're just simply trying to find out where's the bottom. When they don't know things, they're in free fall. Once they find out, okay, this is it, then they know what they're dealing with. You know, if your house blew up and you didn't know whether your insurance was going to pay or not, you know, you don't know until you, until it's in front of you. So I was going to say something else about that, but I will defer. Is there another question? Thank you. Yeah. Guys, this is hard. Okay. In case you haven't heard, this is hard, especially when you're not 17. What I'm asking you to do is completely rethink how you relate to people, how you make decisions, what you communicate. And let me speak just briefly to Bill. Our spouses will ask all day long, did you do this? Did you do that? It's really important that you do not tell them details. Her boobs were this big. I ended her this way. Don't tell them that. They will never forget that. They'll never be able to have sex with you again, picturing you with some other person. Don't do that. And I don't think it's okay necessarily for them to ask questions all day long. What I would do is say, you know, honey, this is really hard for both of us. Could we pick a time every day, like from seven to eight, when we're going to take time and we're going to talk about this every day, as much as you want. But during the day, it's really hard to, you know, so when you have a question, write it down. When I have something I want to talk, I'll write it down. And when we get to that time, in other words, if you can put a box around it, it will make it a lot easier than getting questions all day long. And by the way, this is the beginning of your setting a boundary. I love you, but I don't want to be questioned all the time. 
I hurt you, but that doesn't give you the right to go after me every minute. I love you and I want to support you, but we need to set up time and place. We talk about this because we're not going to do well together if you're constantly questioning me and I don't have any more answers to give you right now. And every answer you give will bring up another question. I promise. So try to contain it, you know, all of that, bring it into therapy, but understand when my dog cuts his paw, he licks it for a long time. Sometimes that's not good for him because he can get it infected. I have to put one of those stupid collars around his neck. You know that? When our partners want to, you know, they're, they're like licking the wound and licking the wound and asking the question and asking the question. Ask. Sometimes it's not good for them to go that far, but they just feel they need to know. It's up to us to, I want to do that in therapy. Let's have a formal disclosure. Let's not do this all day long. We have to set some boundary. And then they say, well, you don't deserve it. I get to ask a question. You know, you can ask, but I'm only going to answer between seven and eight because I can't do this all day long. See if they respect it. I mean, we do, despite what we've done, get to say, Let's stop here and slow down. We get to say that. We're not going to lie. We're not going to cheat. We're not going to hide things. But they can't hear everything all day long, all the time, because we'll never regrow our relationship. So, Scott, thank you for your time. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for, for being here. We really appreciate it. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term, effective, intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.